Hey, Medford Bites listeners. Today's episode continues our series of conversations about the impact of the reversal of Roe versus Wade. Some of the content in today's episode includes discussion about sexual violence. If you or someone you know is looking for support around the impact of sexual violence, you can reach out to the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center if you're in Massachusetts, or the National Sexual Assault Hotline through RAIN. Phone numbers for both hotlines are listed in today's show notes. Hope you enjoy. everybody for being here. Um, if we could start by having our guests just introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and just a bit about who you are. Hi, everyone. My name is Nicole Mosalem, she, her. I'm a candidate for state representative here in Medford and Malden, as well as, you know, interfaith, community a- activist, and advocate. <laughs> and my co-host here today is Shelly. Hey, guys. Shelly here. Right. And so, Nicole, We've already recorded an, another interview with her, so you will make sure to listen to that to hear what her favorite restaurant in Medford is. But we've thought of a different question for today, which is, is there a type of restaurant that you would like to see come to Medford? Oh, okay. So we have a lot of great restaurants that just opened up here in Malden. And I gotta say, one of the ones I really like, the 110 Grill, they have, you know, fires outside with this really cozy, you know, vibe where you can just hang with your friends and enjoy some really great food. And I have to admit, they've got an excellent gluten-free menu. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, something to be said about the outdoor ambiance of the place after COVID. Right? Yeah. <laughs> great. All right. Well, I'm going to um, hand it over to Chelly to start our interview. Great, let's get into it. Um, I think to start, Nicole, maybe you could speak a little bit about how the recent overturning has affected you both professionally, but then also maybe if you're willing, maybe personally um, in the context of sort of family and friends. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to describe and to put into words like this difficult ball of feelings that so many of us are going through right now. And it's on many different levels. Uh, To begin professionally, it's, um, I guess you could say it's renewed my efforts because now there's more passion for it. Now I have, like, I had meaning before, you know, I I had motivation before, but now it's even stronger. (laughs) And so on days where you know, campaigning's tough. Like we're, we're door knocking every single day. You're talking to people, you know, there's, you have to spread your thin self, yourself thin between family, uh, work, everything. Uh, it, it's very grueling. Um, but, uh, you know, as my, as I reach those low moments where you're just exhausted, uh, I, I get this as a good reminder and it helps pick me back up again. Uh, and, the reason why that motivation is so strong is this ruling that came out of the Supreme Court. It affects so many different things. I mean, I've seen firsthand how abortion is health care. Uh, I was raised Roman Catholic. I became Muslim later on in life. And so I grew up in a very, you know, what we dub a pro-life household. Um, but 
what really changed my mind and really opened my eyes, I had a friend who was severely epileptic and she was on birth control. Uh, she was also, you know, on heavy medication to control her ep epilepsy and she found herself unexpectedly pregnant. And the doctors told her if she continued with the pregnancy, it would aggravate her epilepsy. She could die from it. And the medication had most likely already caused severe harm to the fetus. And they strongly recommended an abortion. She called all of her friends. Nobody was willing to go to the clinic. So here I am, you know, at the time I was like uber Catholic. Sure. <laughs> Entering a convent, I actually almost became a nun. And I was like, you know what? compassion trumps everything. Just my friend needs me. I got to be there in that moment. And it was very eye-opening for me because I had to go and sit with her. It was a devastating choice on her part, but it really was a life and death situation. And as I'm sitting in the waiting room, waiting during her procedure, I'm seeing other young women in the waiting room who are you know, receiving their care and, uh, and waiting for their procedures. Some of them are crying. I mean, some of them spoke with me and shared their stories. It was, I suddenly knew that, you know, it's not a one size fits all policy. Sure. You know, and women don't make these decisions willy nilly. It's not like you wake up one day and suddenly I want an abortion, you know? Um, these are heart rending choices. Government doesn't have a say in something that is so personal and, and something that affects somebody's life on that deep of a level. Just government does not have a say. That's the woman, her family, if she chooses, and her doctor, period. That's it. So, you know, that's a formative experience for me when it, you know, comes to this outlook, but Roe doesn't just affect abortion. Like Roe affects many other decisions because in this country, you know, how our laws are written legislatively, it's based off of precedent and each case builds upon itself. And yes. what Roe did was established the right of privacy. Yep. Not enumerated in the constitution, but Roe made that legal leap to set the precedent that we can assume that it's in there, that the founders, the writers of the constitution, uh, you know, uh, allude to it. They, you can make the assumption that they felt this was a right. And yes. that's what they used to make the Roe decision. And that precedent is what gave us contraception, what overruled, inter, you know, banning of interracial marriage, marriage equality for the LGBTQ community, and so much more. This isn't a one and done deal. Like these people are coming after, you know, what we now take for granted as the most basic of rights. And so that gets into, you know, the other side of my motivation. It's not just policy, it's not just political. But after that decision was made, my sister called me up in tears crying me, crying and begging me to fight because, mm -hmm. you know, my sister is a member of the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. and she married her wife 
in Utah who um, was pregnant at the time that they got married from a non-consenting encounter. And in Utah, there was, um, there was a lot at the time called presumed fatherhood. That okay. if you got married before the child is born and the child is born in wedlock, yes. the father in this situation would be assumed to, have, to be the parent. It doesn't matter biology and they get full parental rights. They put my sister's name on the birth certificate and thought all would be good, that this law would cover them. It didn't. And the biological donor mm -hmm. showed up and tried to sue for parental rights and take the child away from my sister, my nephew, her yeah. son. You know, blood doesn't matter, family. Um, and she fought like hell, like our family did. And it was tough. And I mean, we spent thousands of dollars, mental, emotional anguish and hardship. And my sister, God bless her, that state law changed in Utah to where it went from presumed father to presumed parent and gave that same right to same-sex couples. So this is why she was upset because she went through hell and back. And she's like, all of that can be undone. Now, the, you know, if the Supreme Court continues further, like it's already indicated that it's going to, she's going to lose her parental rights. Yeah. How many families are going to be torn apart by this ruling? Yeah. And how many children of the future are going to lose loving homes because of bigotry and intolerance? Mm -hmm. yeah, so I, yeah. people have lost this personal perspective and yeah. Well, and I think too, like, you, you know, your sister's in Utah and, um, you know, they'll, if what this decision sounds like it'll change is that like each state can decide what they want. Right. And, um, and I wonder for you hoping to be a state rep in Massachusetts, what is, what will your role be, um, in like the impact of these federal decisions on our state? This is going to have to change doesn't come without a fight. And people here in Massachusetts think we're safe because we've got a Democratic majority in the House and in the Senate. Um, and every once in a while, we, we may get, you know, a Democratic governor or, you know, get a Republican governor, mm -hmm. as we have right now. Wake up call, people. Uh, the Roe Act in 2020 was vetoed by Governor Baker and passed. That veto was overturned by just three votes. Mm -hmm. We had a three vote margin. You think it's safe and it's not. Yeah. That is an uncomfortable margin right there. So what happens when these lobbyists come to Massachusetts and start really cranking the screws mm. and not just with abortion, but, uh, you know, and keep, keep in mind, like state law can be changed by legislators. Mm -hmm. you, you may think it's one and done and it's not, they can always go back and change the law. Um, but now we're looking at, you know, again, marriage equality. And we're, we're looking at contraception and we're, we're looking at, you know, basic privacy rights that are going to go back to the states. Mm. Um, so first and foremost, we got to protect Massachusetts and we can't, we can have zero doubt 
about anything being able to pass here in Massachusetts. But then we also got to consider this, this federal part and we can't just think about ourselves. You know, we've got 49 other states, uh, you know, in this country and women everywhere are going to be suffering the consequences from this disastrous decision. And the only way that we're gonna put pressure on the federal government is if we build a coalition of states that are willing to work together to push back. And we need to get out of the defensive and go on the offensive. And that's when it comes to, a lot of this comes down to our constitution to the Constitution of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna have to, you know, if we need to call for a constitutional convention, if we need to make some amendments to our constitution, if we can't get our federal legislature to do what's right, which we already know it's in gridlock, um, these are the routes that we're gonna have to do. And, and we need to be prepared to take that fight. Uh, and so that's, I'm telling you, people need to wake up. Yeah, I think some in states like Massachusetts, like you described, because I think we have a reputation for being or pr being pretty progressive, and a lot of those elected officials might be Democrats, right? That we assume that they're going to support things like this, and there that we can be like a little bit complacent sometimes in how we vocalize our support for these issues. And I think you make a great point, and I did not know that that this. That uh, it was at like the codification of Roe in 2020 that only yeah. passed by three votes, right? And like, I I, I think it, these are tricky issues in terms of like they don't always fall down like party lines. And yeah. there's a you mentioned like Roman Catholicism, right? That this is a very Catholic state, right? And it's like traditionally been a very Catholic state. And so how we understand these issues, those you know um, Roe v. Wade, abortion. At like women's rights and LGBTQ rights right in in a state that has that type of history I think it's it's not always what we think it is right um so I, I mean I appreciate you bringing that up and, and I think it's something to think about when you go to vote right like I might vote for Democrats because that's the party that I align with but what do I know about those Democrats right we have a Democratic representative right now um and I don't know how he's voted on I don't think it's like something that a lot of people know how he's voted on some of these things yeah that's why you know we did uh recently we did a twitter thread uh because we were letting people know that he, this is how uh you know our current representative who i'm challenging has been voting on these issues um and people were like no he, he doesn't believe that way or he hasn't voted that way uh they don't want to believe it uh and i'm like okay so you know people are accusing us of fake news i'm like here's the receipts i don't like to make claims that i don't have data and proof you know um and so that's what we did we did a whole twitter thread about it where vote after vote after vote recorded you know in black and white and people were just absolutely floored and i was shocked at how you know much attention that one tweet got basically but now the the community knows and uh, it's what's frustrating is we've been having this conversation on the doors and we get into this language of pro-life, pro-choice, uh, anti-abortion, you know, anti-life, wh whatever you want to go with it. But here's, I think what it boils down to, and this is how I 
I put it in terms when I'm speaking to people here in Medford. Um, it is almost everyone I speak to believes that abortion is necessary on some level. Women have to have access. It, do, it doesn't matter your faith. It doesn't matter your culture. Like it crosses the lines everywhere. Like people understand that abortion is healthcare. They just have this misconception that it's, you know, one day a woman wakes up and says, oh, I don't want this pregnancy. I'm going to get rid of it. Yeah. I'm like, no, if you really want to be pro-life, and I think we should be claiming that title, if you really are pro-life, then you want to take care of that life and everybody impacted by it, everybody caring for it, every moment that that life exists from first breath to last. And so the fact that we have children going to the doctors with UTIs because they're sitting in diapers, dirty diapers all day because their family can't afford uh, you know, diapers and we don't cover it with SNAP benefits or any other benefits. Um, it's a pure cash expense for the parents. And that's a lot. Like babies go through a lot of freaking diapers. <laughs> I got three, I know. <laughs> um, that's shameful. Or what about, and people are shocked to hear it, that in this day and age, a woman can still lose her job for being pregnant. And the loophole, the carve out is that if they're in that probationary period, when they're first hired and it can be upwards 90 months or I mean, excuse me, 90 days or six months. So three to six months, a woman could be in her initial probationary period. When you first start a job, you find yourself unexpectedly pregnant and your employer finds out they can get rid of you. No questions asked. Sure. And what about healthcare? Like for myself, my first pregnancy was in Utah that's a Republican state. And I, you know, they're better than most other Republican states because they actually have a little bit of compassion. Um, but even then, like, uh, I didn't have health care. And because I didn't have access to health care when I was younger, and I had a genetic disorder that went undiagnosed and caused a lot of problems during my first pregnancy, I almost died. They went out and they told my family to, that they were giving up and that I wasn't going to make it. And uh, I miraculously, you know, uh, I, I was hemorrhaging um, and I miraculously stopped. Um, and that was after they had already done more than everything that they could do. And that was a steep recovery. I was in and out of the hospital for a while. Um, the condition that I have, the um, flared up really bad. I was in a wheelchair. And after a certain amount of time, they take your health care away because, yeah, they give it to you while you're pregnant, but they don't give it to you for like postnatal when you're trying to take care of a baby. Yeah. I'm like, you, we're not taking a look at the whole picture. And so there were times when it was very difficult. And I ended up with, permanent damage to my body because I couldn't access the care that I needed. Mm -hmm. And that, and I was only able to have my two other children because it was here in Massachusetts where I had more access to healthcare, which is, and I was able to see the difference like night and day. We don't have that in every single state. So I'm like, just people don't think about the complexity of this issue. And until you re 
until you uplift women and relieve these burdens so that they don't have to think about this being a type of scenario where, oh, a child or my job, my ability to keep a roof over my head and food in my mouth. And if they have other children, be able to provide for their other children yeah. or a life and death situation of, do I continue with my pregnancy knowing I'm a high-risk pregnancy and I don't have access to proper medical care? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's people don't think in these terms, that's really what's going through a woman's head. It's not like, oh, I just don't care about this life growing inside of me. It's really like, you think about all these other things. And uh, so once you put it in those terms, people really wake up and they really see it. Uh, and, and we agree. I'm like, I would rather as a legislator be supporting life and relieving these types of situations than just you know making everybody suffer and say, eh, you can't have it. And it sounds, Shelly's made this point a few times, I think that when we think about the creation of a potential life, there's most likely two people involved, right? And that mm -hmm. these, this, like the overturning of Roe, it, it only focuses on the pregnant person and how to like almost like criminalize their decision, right? Yeah. 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 But what about some of these guys who go around and take absolutely no responsibility and have how many children by how many different women? Mm -hmm. Where's their responsibility? Yeah. You know, we, we don't hold them accountable. And what about the women who have been raped but didn't speak up? Mm. We know most rapes do not go reported. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. We talked about this on um, a different episode about how sexual assault is difficult to prove. And if that's the exception for abortion, how is that going to, how is that supposed to magically start working? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, this is, this is a deeply emotional topic, you know, for myself and for other women. Uh, people don't realize how deeply seated these, these issues are and how widespread. Yeah. And I'm going to reveal a shocker um, that I don't reveal that often, but I have permission. Mm -hmm. Every single woman in my family, in my immediate family, has been a sexually assaulted and raped. Mm -hmm. And none of them were reported or prosecuted. There are three of us. Yeah, and I think, you know, Roe brings to mind like bodily autonomy, right? And like rights that we have over our, our own body and sexual trauma certainly overlaps with that, right? Like the ways in which people think they can control our bodies or, and, and this in this legislation like directly does, right? This is like somebody making a choice for us. And taking yeah. choice away from this sure yeah and I, I work in this field of sexual violence and i think what this decision in that same way right like how we're taking choice away is really triggering for survivors whether or not they've had to access abortion services or not yeah yeah and it's we we don't society doesn't have the proper perspective and so i can guarantee you um i make a promise to every single woman uh, and I, and I mean that, you know, whether, however you identify, <laughs> you know, uh, born woman or not, but, uh, you know, every 
woman, every member of the LGBTQ community, every marginalized person out there, um, I feel the pain and the anger that's going through so many of you right now. I share that and I will fight like hell. <laughs> Wherever I end up doing it, whether it's in the state house, like I'm hoping, or, you know, anywhere else that I can go after this, I'll be fighting like hell because we're not going down without it. Yeah, so I, th I thank you for all of this, like for the personal sharing and, and uh, for the hopes for your um position should you be elected uh, i'm wondering if there's anything else that you were hoping to share with us today just i really implore people wake up before it's too late and don't think we're safe don't make if your decision is coming down to you know oh it's everything else is okay and we're safe here in massachusetts we're not mm. You know, the moment that we stop caring about these issues, the moment we become complacent, we've just learned that's when it goes away. I think Shelly has one more question. Yeah, um, earlier, while, earlier while speaking, you were talking about coalition building. Um, and I wonder in conclusion, if maybe you could speak to, I'm sorry, um, what that would look like and if the ROAC could serve as a template for other states. Um, sorry. <laughs> you sound like you got a lot of fun going in the background over there. <laughs> so much joy. <laughs> um, but yeah, just if you could speak to what does coalition building look like if there's space for templates, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Yeah, um, you know, I think we're gonna have to look at um, those who came before us you know this is they formed so whenever we have made changes to the constitution it's been by forming uh you know these coalitions uh state by state and bringing us all together and that's what we're going to have to do we're going to have to have delegations that are going to work with each other uh and build up the state coalition um now we have I think what's different between now and in the past is we have better communication, uh, better travel. <laughs> so it doesn't take us forever and a day to get across the country and communicate with other people. Uh, we have better messaging, better cooperation. Um, is the flip side of that digital surveillance of women in the form of like period tracking apps, um, sort of Planned Parenthood visits, whatever it may be, those feel like moments to attack women? They do. Uh, and so we're, we're gonna have to be, you know, like I said, we're gonna be very proactive about making sure that women are protected. And I think the legislation that was recently passed here in Massachusetts is gonna go, you know, a good way towards that. Uh, we need to work on education fronts too and let women know, okay, these uh, services are safe um, and your information is not going to be shared. These services are not safe. Uh, I saw a great, Facebook ad uh, recently by Attorney General Maura Healy, where she was talking about crisis, crisis pregnancy centers to get the word out that, um, you know, these are not going to give you accurate information. These are not real reproductive health care centers. Uh, 
you know, they're just going to give you their biased view and that's it. Uh, so we, we need to do better about protecting women. Again, that's an education piece, legislatively making sure that um, we're not cooperating with other states who are demanding this information. Um, and then also making sure, I think this is gonna come down to, again, a, you know, a constitutional amendment, because if it's apparently, you know, even though the Bill of Rights says that your rights are not limited to what we've enumerated here, we just felt these needed to be specifically laid out. Um, even though that's what it says, apparently, that's what we're we're getting is just it has to be said in you know language from the 1700s uh which has like what to do with now so we got we need to update we need to update the document uh and so this is going to be a long haul people need to get on board with it thank you um really appreciate you making the time for us Shelly, any other questions um, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your energy. Thank you. Thanks to Nicole and Shelley. A, a full interview regarding Nicole's campaign will be coming out closer to voting day, which is September 6th, 2022. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, and as always, if you have feedback about this episode or ideas for future episodes, you can email medfordpod at gmail.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Guys, what's the name of the podcast? Medford Bites! Medford Bites! <laughs> Good job.